Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is the 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Kuden. We're so glad you could join us today. I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller, and uh, we've got a couple great topics to dive right into uh, for this episode. Uh, there's some really cool new activities starting up if you're in the area of uh, of the dojo in Pennsylvania that uh, I know um, Mr. Miller's going to give us a lot more detail about that new program that's coming up. I'm excited to hear more about it, too, and just... If you're not in the area, some of the information you can glean from our discussion today on how you can kind of get started with, uh, you know, some some kind of changes that will affect uh, your health. We we'll also want to talk about some survival skills and uh, not just, you know, fighting survival skills as so often conversations tend to revolve around. But uh, as as you know, in the news lately, we're we're hearing lots about uh, a couple of natural disasters that have occurred in the United States here and are one that's about to to occur. And so how can you be best prepared? Because often these things happen and we realize, well, maybe we're not so prepared. So a couple of good topics to get into today. How are you doing, sir? I am well. And you know what? Every time I listen to that intro, something else pops up. And I know we talked about this way, way back in the day, but something I want to preempt with because, um, as you know, um, Jeff Brown, our guest from last uh, episode, <clears throat> uh, stepped away from the Bujinkan. Uh, he wanted to concentrate on other areas of training and not just like the DTAC stuff he's working on uh, and those things for his own program, but also he just got certified in uh, – first aid and CPR and a bunch of other things that he's doing on, you know, just with personal training and all that. And he's really backed away from social media. But in the process, what he did was uh, several of these groups that he's uh, started, uh, he actually turned them over to other people. So uh, hmm. Monday morning, I got a message after he had sent it out to everybody else as well, uh, that he was turning the Bujinkan Society Facebook group over to me, which has little over 1,300 members uh, in it. Wow. And uh, my first question was, why? Um, why me? Because we hadn't discussed this. This was like an out-of-the-blue kind of thing. Um, and I'm going to see where it goes. I mean, I, I, I don't mind moderating it and things like that. But uh, about the lead-in, something that kind of popped up was, you know, you announced me as a 13th-degree black belt. And something had come up uh, in one of these little discussions, and as it, as it should, because – uh, historically, traditionally, conventionally, whatever you want to call it, uh, in Japan and with Japanese martial arts, you never see uh, a rank above 10th degree. And typically, mm. if somebody lists a number above 10, then they're a charlatan, right? So this right. is a problem not with the Bujinkan, because people within it get to play the, the same game, right? They get to play by the same rules. But from outside and how we're perceived and one of the things that causes people to laugh, besides the misconception about what a ninja is and, you know, what we do and all that, um, it's this rank thing, right? So um, I don't cringe at it anymore because I know what's going on. 
And for people that would say, well, you know, uh, Sensei uses those numbers. Yeah, I know. Sensei uses those numbers because Westerners keep using those numbers. So it's just quicker. It's just an expedient. So yeah. if this is your speech, just like they say Jeff-san, Tony-san, whatever, instead of saying their last name in San, because while the Japanese use last name San to mean Mr. Ishizuka, Mr. Shiraishi, Mr. Hatsumi, whatever, um, mm -hmm. he knows that in the West we identify each other very readily on a first-name basis. So now it becomes Mr. Jeff, Mr. Bob, Mr. Sam, Mr. whatever, which to us now seems funny, but you started it. So, you know, here's that. <laughs> you talked about the ramifications, right, of not preparing or misunderstanding or whatever. So there's one of them. So actually, my rank, the official rank, is Judan Kamenkyo, which is a mouthful, and I would never expect you to put that into the intro because, <laughs> one, I think your mouth would trip over it. But the numbered rank runs out at 10th grade, so right. it's Judan. But there, are the, you know this, right? There are these five, what we could call five beyond mastery mm -hmm. degrees or levels that Go full circle. We start off with the Godai, Earth, Water, Fire, Wind, Void, as a framework for our training. And I know lots of people would argue that that's not true, but look at the Sanchi. So, um, or the Gogyo no Kata, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> um, so that's how we end. So what people are typically calling 11th Don, see, because it's higher than 10th, right, is really 10th degree Earth mastery transmission. And there's a whole, bot, a whole lot to that idea of this earth thing and what, what goes into that. And then what people are calling 12th is 10th on water mastery transmission. And then fire, then wind. So, you know, so technically there's a uh, two more levels for me to go, unless Hudson Sensei creates five more like we ran out at 10th on. Because when I first started, the, the ranking system ran out at 5th. And then we had all these upper dons running around, and so he added six to ten. And hmm. then we had all these people getting promoted to eighth, ninth, tenth degree. And then we had all these people running around, right? And he gets the idea that the psychology that human beings need to see progress. Otherwise, hmm. they'll rest on their laurels and eventually they'll suck because they stop practicing, right? So then he added these other five. And now there are there there aren't more degrees, there are now these titles Right, where somebody right. is a uh, Yushu Shihan and, and all these things, right? So um, if nothing else, Hatsumi Sensei understands how to stroke the egos of those who need their ego stroke. And this is not a good thing or a bad thing. Um, it's an expedient, right? It's in the wind realm, we would call that, uh, or the one section on the model, we would call that expedient means or expedient uh, uh, actions, right? So mm -hmm. it's something done to produce the desired result. And if that means that you need to play into someone's needs to get them to stay with the training longer so they get better in spite of themselves and their own filters, then you do that thing. Because not many people would have stuck around like they didn't originally when Hatsumi Sensei and our teachers early on actually were willing to look at us in the face and say things like I've said to you. I will lie to you. I will show you flawed techniques to see if you're paying attention, to see if you're critically paying attention to why something works or if you're just trying to be a blind disciple 
and you're just going to learn it because the teacher said that's the official thing, right? Mm. So uh, yeah. anyway, so uh, I'm not really a 13th degree, right? It's it's you know it, it is what it is. You can use whatever title. Um, some people have called these pretty bad titles, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's really 10th degree fire transmission kind of thing, right? So right. Uh, anyway, that's for the people that get a little willy about you know that's not what it is because this is an open <laughs> martial arts and self-defense uh, podcast, yeah. not strictly limited to Ninjutsu and Bujinkan. So I wanted to make sure that uh, people got that perspective that it's ultimately all 10th done, but there are these, there are these um, phases beyond, you know, or that happen at this level. So what kind of training do 10th dons do? Well, here are these, you know, areas of training. So how about that? That's cool. No, that's that's some good cool. background and insight on that, and uh, glad glad you pointed that out. So we've got uh, a couple things to to start off with. Before the call, you were talking to me about this uh, new program you just fired up. Uh, I think it's called Warrior Fit. I'd, Warrior I'd love to hear more Fit. about that. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, you, uh, you know, I had that accident a bunch of years ago, and, and yeah, I some major spine damage and, and nerve damage and all that. And so the medications they gave me for this stuff really caused the pounds to just pack off. So, uh, and at a certain point... See, at least you have an excuse. I just I just like to eat. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd like to say that, but, you know, people look at me and they go, Is that seriously, that's all you eat? And I, I have to look at them and go, I only look like I eat a lot. I really don't, right? Uh, but between that and, you know, my busy schedule and all that, often I would skip breakfast and, and then yeah. I'm sandwiched by the time I get home after classes and then... You know, soon after that, it's bedtime. So it did require a few changes. But anyway, I started this journey a little over a month ago. And like I told you, I'm about 15 pounds down now and wow. three inches off my midsection and all that. And they were just minor changes. I didn't have to, like, kill myself in cardio classes or whatever. Is exercise important? Yes, of course. But how many classes a week do I teach? Plus, I do some walking either out in nature or, you know, on the treadmill every once in a while. A little bit of uh, dumbbell work or whatever, but no significant change there. But anyway, I just I bit the bullet, went to my doctor, and they referred me to this weight management group through the medical center that I'm affiliated with, and just a couple of little tweaks. And uh, so uh, what I wanted to do was, one, help myself with a little bit more uh, consistent exercise because Tajutsu is really not strenuous. So, you know, how do you do that? Uh, hmm. And while there were these other programs I could have gotten involved in, I'm already doing these things. So uh, the, the impetus behind it was, uh, can we put together something where, one, it helps me, but two, it also invites other people in. And I think one of the big, uh, I'm going to borrow the word selling, uh, but one of the big selling points for this is that most of the people who are coming in do need to lose 10 or more pounds, and so they're, they're overweight. And a lot of them just don't trust programs where it's obvious that the instructor isn't overweight, has never been overweight, right? And they can talk a good show, but they can't relate to this person's problems. They can mm. try to motivate them by telling them all these things, but they're all, you know, this, this person has habits and patterns, and so they can talk about them, but they can't relate to them, right? Right. So it'd yeah. be like, you know, me going to a Catholic priest for marriage counseling. The guy's never been married before. So while he may have things to tell me and best practices and all that, he can't relate, 
right? So not that I'm going to anything like that, but um, but it's it's that kind of analogy, right? Or going to somebody who fixes bikes because, well, he's kind of a mechanic, but I want him to fix my, you know, my Learjet or my, you know, whatever. So it's just hmm. it's just backwards, right? So yeah, yeah, we threw that in, and um, I'm a day or two away from uh, we're going to do a combined weekend here coming up, um, where we're going to be doing a survival, a wilderness survival seminar, uh, on one day. And we haven't done one of those in quite a while. <clears throat> and uh, the other day we're doing a combat handgun uh, level two. So that involves more drawn fire, more double tapping, movement while shooting, and hmm. maintaining muzzle uh, alignment with the target, those kind of things, right? So we're, we're growing past the basics. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to do something like that. And then for the, for the wilderness survival thing, uh, we're going to tie that in with a webinar where – uh, stuff that you got, you learned in the dojo, right? Uh, that uh, initial nine steps to a, to uh, effective emergency survival uh, that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it's going to be on. And so we're going to go down through these nine areas. And uh, the cool thing about that program is it's designed so that one part of it, of every phase of every one of those nine phases or areas, um, one part of it is very logical, right? Like we call it uh, general awareness, right? But okay. there's another part that goes with it mirrored that's very right brain that might be operating uh, in panic mode as you're trying to clear your head. So hmm. the right brain side just has questions that are very natural that come up. So, uh, you know, uh, general awareness, uh, you know, about the, the situation, right? So the first question that comes to mind after you've been shaken is what? What happened, Right. So you get your head wrapped around that kind of thing, and then the next stage, and I'm not going to go through the nine on this on this call, but the next one is uh, to make a decision. So that's the logical side, right? Well, what kind of decision? Yeah. Well, do people know where I am? And chances are, you know, I'm in a plane that's been tracked from, you know, airport or whatever. So people are on their way, right? So I'm going to stay, right? I need to go away from danger just in case the plane hasn't completely, you know, isn't engulfed in flames and I guess if it were that way, I'd be dead anyway. But um, so, but do, do I need to just move slightly so that the, the group or the party is not in danger, or am I out for a weekend, <clears throat> um, just training? We we go out for a wilderness survival seminar, and everybody knows where we are, but they don't expect us back until Sunday night, right? And here it is Friday night, and suddenly something happened. Nobody's going to even realize that we're missing or in trouble for another two days, right? So now do I need to move? Do I need to head out, right? So the the, the, yeah. logi- the, 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 the logical phase is to make a decision about what's, uh, you know, what do I do, right? Well, the tie-in to that is, okay, what's, what's next? What, what do I do, okay? So what happened is followed by what's next. And then the next phase, and this is where I'm going to stop for this one, is um, if you decide, whether you decide to stay or whether you decide to move, we need to take stock of what we have, right? So what kind of equipment do we have, clothing that might have been in luggage or whatever, before we have to go primitive uh, to find water or food or clothing or, you know, materials to build shelters or whatever. So that phase logically is called usable aids on hand. So you take inventory, okay? Hmm. But the, the right brain question is, what's here, right? What do I have, Okay. So it allows us to do this parallel training or a parallel mindset down through so that not only 
do we learn the, the phases to go through for successful survival, but also the most logical or most natural question that pops up that we should be asking and getting answered before we go on to the next phase. And while, you know, we give you these nine in a specific order, there are a couple, depending on situations, that are, um, you know, they're, they're pliable, right? I mean, do we do fire first or do we collect water first or, you know, whatever. So it depends on the situation, right? And then we're yeah. also going to break that down and look at three, three completely different areas where you're training in the same skills or you, you want to have skills for them, but the skill itself has to change with the situation. So we have these three, three things. We have an emergency survival situation. We have a training situation. We're just out training, right? And we have a yeah. paramilitary situation. So just something as simple as shelter building or fire building, how does that get changed and what are the major considerations you have besides camouflage or whatever um, when you are building a fire? How is an emergency situation and a paramilitary situation, you know, how does that affect how you build your fire and what you want happening during daylight hours, during nighttime hours, you know, same thing with shelters. What are the seven considerations when you're building a shelter? Uh, you know, all those things, right? So we're going to work that into a webinar to get it out of the way that way when people come in, we can just do live training and they can test wow. their skills. Yeah, yeah, cool stuff, right? Yeah. That is neat. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I think back it was, it was a long time ago, but the, the wilderness survival uh, course, I remember taking that. Uh, and, and just, you know, not only is it a lot of fun, but it just it gets you in that mindset a little bit. It uh, gives you a taste of that, uh, really having to think things through, uh, not only just, you know, things like fire building or shelter building, but uh, the real whole the whole idea of energy conservation, you know, not overextending yourself, you know, knowing that right. you have to right. kind of be conservative primary, about primary what you're doing. Survival. Primary yeah. rule of survival, energy conservation, right? Yeah, and so, you know, and of course we can't work everything into a day or a weekend, so we, we just kind of choose some example uh, skills to work on um, out of a couple of different categories. But, you know, eventually anybody that works with me gets five fire lighting, fire building, uh, or fire starting methods that match the Godai, but they also get nine different structures to learn yeah. how to build. That way, whether they're signaling They've got uh, wet, uh, you know, uh, fuel that needs to be dried before they can use it, but they need a fire now. Maybe they need something that will continue to sustain while they're out hunting for food or whatever. Uh, you know, maybe they're short on fuel, right, uh, or for cooking or for whatever, right? So how do you do these things so that you're really prepared for a situation and you don't just, you know, you went to Boy Scout camp and you learned one way to, to one structure, one way to start a fire, or two, or whatever, and or you know when you did when you couldn't make that work, the the uh, uh, you know your your scout leader or your coach or mentor or whatever slipped you a big lighter so you could get it going and all that, uh, whatever you know. So um, anyway, it's cool stuff, right? So yeah, yeah, and and it really does play into the ninja's lifestyle. I mean, you've been up on Togakushi, you and you more more to the point, ridden the bus down from Togakushi and seen mm -hmm. just how steep those mountains are down into yeah. that ravine and everything that, you know, these people, when they separated themselves from conventional society to get away from everything and to make it difficult for, you know, the government to influence their lives, 
they also made it more difficult for themselves to survive and all that. So, you know, we don't see wilderness survival on the on the syllabus or in the scrolls as a as a skill, but you know, you don't see speaking Japanese there either. Mm-hmm. Because they did it all the time, right? It was just a, a skill that you had to learn, um, whether it was collecting water or setting traps for catching animals or whatever, right? So uh, you tend to not write down the obvious, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah. You know, well, and staff, you know, I think uh, this kind of <clears throat> brings us to a good uh, topic discussion on not only just survival skills, but uh, I would say like emergency preparedness. Uh, you know. Mm. One of these things that's been thrust in front of us with the news lately, we've had, um, you know, the the Harvey storm roll through Texas and they've experienced extreme flooding and, you know, people trapped in neighborhoods and they don't have supplies. And and now, you know, in in a matter of 24 hours, Florida is going to be dealing with this big hurricane uh, Irma. And maybe Georgia. You know, it's really. Maybe Georgia and North Carolina because things are really shifting. Right, well, and so it's really on people's minds, and and if you know, with social media, people are seeing video come out of not just the storms, but also, um, you know, I saw some video about uh, a group of individuals who are who stayed behind in in the the Houston area and are trying to protect their their neighborhood essentially from people who are trying mm. to loot. Um, oh, you know, so there's yeah. all these different things that start happening that um, you know you're, you're, you begin to deal with there being no emergency personnel, there's no police, no fire, no paramedics. You're no, because they're out rescuing and, people, so crime fighting takes a back seat to saving lives. So sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, just you know, what what are some things uh, people can start to clue in on on you know being prepared for something to happen because it's obviously you know it, it doesn't seem to be on. The, the front of people's minds much until it's happened and now now we're trapped or we didn't have supplies um you know and and often you start talking about this and people go well I'm not going to I'm not going to become a prepper uh you know and it's like well we're not saying maybe you have to dig out a nuclear bomb shelter and load it up with 2 years worth of you know food supplies or something <laughs> but what what's the realistic uh sense of being ready for things right yeah i think that's a really good point um, I think that, you know, we have extremists everywhere, right? I mean, you know, people just like to gravitate to one end, and then the world is doomed if you don't believe things as they do. <clears throat> and while, you know, we have a picture of preppers, right, living out in the woods with their families and wearing camouflage and, you know, talking to you like this, whatever, right? Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, a, a lot. There, there's there, there's many phases and degrees to the people that are that are you know involved in that kind of thing. Um, but you know, if if you look around and you really do the research and you look at examples in today's world of collapsed economies or the government crashed and you know uh, crime is running rampant, you know, like Venezuela, places like that, right? Um, I I really don't believe that this prepper idea that we are going to end up in a Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome kind of thing um, is is a reality. I, I just, I don't, because yeah. you will always have these social constructs. I mean, these other places, there's been a total collapse. You know, the warlords have taken over, the drug dealers or whatever have taken over and stuff, but things are still operating. Is it difficult? Yes. Are there zones you don't want to go in because, you know, it's a sniper alley or whatever? Yes. But... You still got to go to the store. You still have to, you know, do things. So if you're not going to evacuate yourself and escape from that area and move somewhere else, then you're going to adapt, right? So 
there's things that need to be thought about, and they should be thought about way ahead. So the other extreme from the prepper Mad Max Thunderdome kind of thing, you and I were talking about this before the show, is <clears throat> the folks that assume that, you know, I don't go camping, I don't travel anywhere, don't go, don't go on planes, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. what am I ever going to need the skills that are taught in wilderness survival for? Well, here we are, right? Second major thing in, what, a couple of years, right, between Katrina and now this and stuff where the flooding is so bad that the sewer lines have ruptured, and now mm-hmm. there's fecal bacteria and, and matter and all that in the water that these people are wading through. It's being aerialized or aerosolized every time uh, a, a boat goes, you know, down a street that's now a river and churns up the water and stuff like that. So how do you keep yourself healthy? How do you, uh, you know, how do you deal with these things that you took for granted yesterday? So the opposite extreme is not believing that you need it until, oh, shit, I need it, right? So how do I get clean, drinkable water? Because, as Ian pointed out in, in the conversation we had had, uh, you know, you can go way longer without food. It's not comfortable, but you can go way longer without food than you can without water. So how do you get yeah. clean water in if the guys with the monster trucks didn't show up and get through and they're dropping off cases of water or, you know, whatever? How do you how do you handle that? So I think the biggest thing is just to, you know, to recognize that when we, when we talk about that eight-phase uh, strategic self-defense model that we use, right, general self-defense, situational awareness. Now, that one's keyed into escalating physical violence, but you could just as easily come up with an eight-phase model that matches for natural disasters and, and other things like that, right? And they will mm-hmm. always start off with general awareness. What are the potential dangers that I could face, right? And uh, so what should I be prepared to handle? Basics, food, water, shelter, uh, medicine. If I can't get it, how do I replace it, right? Uh, you know, my father-in-law lives with me. He doesn't. This is an example. He doesn't. But my father-in-law lives with me. He has major heart problems. We end up with this thing. Flooding was so fast and everything. And by accident or by time, right, he ran out of medication. Now he doesn't have mm. his digitalis, right? Mm. How do I replace that, right? Or whatever, right? How do I, you know, how do we create some disinfectants uh, so that this stuff that's, you know, on our skin or that we're breathing or whatever, can be handled. So recognizing these things and prepping for them. Uh, another thing is in recognizing that you need to have options. Again, as I mentioned earlier on, in the in the show, <clears throat> um, people want a one and done kind of thing, right? Just tell me mm-hmm. what what one magical thing, right? I mean, look at all the self defense programs that are sold. Learn this one technique, and you can beat any attacker in thirty seconds or less. Bullshit. Um, <laughs> So, um, but they want to, they, they, we want to, we as human beings want to gravitate towards that kind of thing, when really success is born of options and the ability to adapt to a given situation. If option A isn't working and, you know, B isn't possible and C, we don't have enough supplies for that, then we need to jump straight to D, E, F, whatever. Do you have options? So that's like when we're talking about the wilderness survival stuff, that's why you need to have more than one or two ways to start a fire. You need to understand how to make uh, structures so that if you're short on fuel, right, the structure doesn't burn all away and burn up all your fuel, you know, all at one time or, you know, whatever, right? So it's the same thing here. Um, And so you need to have contingency plans. Uh, Case in point, with the Florida group, I have a friend that lives on the west coast in Florida, 
so, you know, people are asking, why aren't you leaving? Why aren't you leaving, right? And she's got a really good level head on her shoulders. And she explained it very, very well. And she said, look, we're not in an evacuation area. By the time it hits the mainland, they're looking at it being already downgraded to a Category 2. This won't become a major, major problem unless this thing comes all the way across the state and gets to the Gulf, in which case it'll pick up again. Okay? Hmm. Um, so, so she already understands the science behind it, but she's not in an evacuation zone. They're like, yeah, yeah, but why don't you just get out anyway? Well, see, here's the thing. If everybody goes... The highways can only hold so much, and already there's traffic jams just with the people in an evacuation zones. On top of that, now you have all of these people moving at the same time. Guess what they ran out of or are really, really short on in Florida right now? Fuel. There's not enough uh, gas for cars yeah. because yeah. everybody needs to fuel up to drive hundreds of miles to get away. So here's this other contingency that people typically don't think about, Right. Is your car capable of not only traveling but sitting in traffic idling for a certain amount of time? Or have you, you know, have you wired yourself so that if we're going to be sitting here and we're creeping along, I'm going to turn my engine off. You know, if we're, if we're at a standstill, I'm going to turn it off, and then I'll restart it. So I know I might be burning a little extra fuel, but in truth, modern vehicles are way more efficient when it comes to how much fuel is burned when the air con's on, when – you're doing a mm -hmm. startups, you know, whatever, right? You know that. You're a car guy. Yeah. So, you know, um, are you doing that so that the car that you're always having to add water to the radiator to or are you always having an, an overheating problem or maybe you haven't had an overheating problem, but it's an older car and now you're going to be sitting out in the open sun in traffic, bumper to bumper, and with cars beside you or trucks or whatever, which means that the heat around your car is higher and you don't get the same kind of cooling effect as you would if your vehicle was moving and you had open air around you that was just the ambient temperature plus a windshield factor. I know, I'm a science geek. But either way, mm -hmm. these are things that need to be considered, right? So um, and I know we're going to talk about uh, some other things later, but, uh, you know, and if you have to stay, right, or you suddenly get caught up in this, you didn't realize, you know, it was going to be so bad. Next thing you know, like a lot of Houstonites, bang, you know, you're in feet deep of water, right? You couldn't yeah. get out. So uh, how, are you going to, how are you going to collect water, right? Well, if this is a possibility or you've choose, chosen to stay because maybe, maybe you're an EMS person <clears throat> or maybe you've decided that, you know what, no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to ride this out because I'm going to be one of the people that are going to be here to help my, my community and help those people that need help because not everybody can move, senior citizens, handicapped, whatever. So I'm going to stay, mm -hmm. right, because you might stay by choice. But you still have to recognize that heat, electricity, water, all those kind of things are all tied together. If the electrical system goes down, you know, you, you may think, well, I'm not on a well, so I don't have a pump. Yeah, but the water pressure that comes through your public water supply through those pipelines not gravity fed so if the electricity goes out in the area because of flooding so does your central water municipal system and now you don't have the same put pressure pushing water into your house so how do you get potable water in an area where you're surrounded by water right mm -hmm. so how do you filtrate mm -hmm. and purify water right so yeah. maybe if you decide to stay just as a contingency plan 
you devise a couple of ways uh, to put out containers that you will co collect rainfall, right, which means it's not going to need to be filtered or, or taken care of more than maybe just some extra boiling to make sure, but, you know, it's going to be out there. But then people would say, well, what about high winds? Well, you take high winds into consideration. A cinder block turned on its side where the, the little um, channels that run through the middle of it are vertical and upright, now you can put cups and, and uh, uh, what do you call them, uh, collection, collection uh, vessels yeah. inside that. So it's going to need, you know, you're going to need to have really, really high winds to move that cinder block, right, to knock over your water collection things. So just kind of thinking about that, right? Can you get out on a roof or whatever before the storm hits or when it even is early in its early stages and devise a way, right? Most of the cars in Houston are not underwater themselves. Well, they are, right? But they're only up to the driver's mm -hmm. side, passenger side windows. The roof is yeah. not. So could you have put a collection thing on top of there? You know, some people, they, you know, they, they've got a fence around the house or they've got whatever, right? Can you attach it? Right, so you're collecting potable water, right? Um, so you know how are you going to handle those things, right? Have you stocked up on candles? Have you whatever, right? Because there's just so many things. Again, we talked about this. There's so many things that people have taken for granted that because of the social construct that they just don't realize how much they're going to lose when things go down, right? You know, so everything from from the necessities like that to how you going to entertain yourself without your phone in front of you or without your laptop <laughs> or your tablet or whatever, when you might actually have to light up a candle and open a book, right, or whatever. How are you going to keep your mind active to not become depressed and or uh, overly anxious or whatever during that? How are you going to protect your own when yeah. stuff starts happening, right? So, uh, yeah, how do you help the rescue workers help you? even if you're not going to be overly trained in survival techniques, how do you help them help you? I mean, just, there's, a, there's a lot of things that can go into it. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time in a, in a format like this, uh, but maybe this would make a great seminar or seminar series or webinar or whatever to really go deep into this kind of preparation because most of the prepper stuff that I've seen, there's an over-reliance on gear, you know, water filtration straws and all that, which are great, but what happens if it breaks? What happens if you lose mm -hmm. it? What happens when the filtration, uh, the filters stop working? You, they've clogged up or they've, you know, run their, their time and all that, and you now need to come up with a couple of makeshift ways to filter yeah. the water. You're surrounded by water, right? That's why we, get, we teach people five different ways to, to purify and filter water collected. We teach people five different ways to collect water. Right, and and um, an, uh, an available water source is only one of them. But in something like a hurricane, you know, um, whenever you can, if you can't stock up ahead of time, whenever you can, what you do is you uh, recognize that you're going to have an abundance of water, so you're going to need to purify it and filter it so it's usable. And you can already start collecting purified water, so. You know, collecting it's not a problem conventionally. It's all around you. But you could collect it from what we call our wind method, right, collecting rainfall in containers, right? And so uh, make it happen, right? I mean, just, you know, yeah. it's going to take more than just more than just the prepper gear that everybody's spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on 
throwing in a bug out kit, uh, and they've barely read the informational manual, let alone gone out and, uh, you know, done a weekend away where they've cut off everything and they're going to have to, they're going to have to survive with more than just MREs and, or with less than MREs and their filter straws and whatever. So, I don't know. Was that, yeah. is that good enough to get people to start? Why don't we ask them? I think it? so. Yeah. Okay. And, and, so and, you know, it's just, it's, it's funny too. I was thinking back, uh, someone here I work with has a family member down in the Florida area and he was showing me a picture. He says, look, this picture that they sent me and it's, uh, a picture of the bread aisle in a grocery store and it's all gone. And of course, oh, that made me think back to, yeah. Yeah. And that made me think back to, um, Living in Pennsylvania, anytime snowstorm was coming, everybody yeah. went, and there was a run on there was a run on milk and bread. It's always the joke. And milk I thought, and bread. How much milk and know, bread can you, you know, can you eat well, yeah, over the well, next couple of hours when they plow out your road? <laughs> right, and and in the case of something like where you're going to get flooding and all of that, I'm like, I, I start instead of just kind of going, aha, that's funny. My mind starts thinking about this. I'm like, well, you know, bread. What happens if you drop that loaf in the water? It's ruined. Yeah. Milk's going to yeah. go bad And how many days when your power's out and your fridge won't work. So why does everybody want milk and bread? Absolutely. I, I never understood that. But, you know, they, you know, because they, I, think about, they think about running out of food. They don't think of their food going bad when the electricity goes off and they lose all that food they've stocked up on. Right. right? So they only think superficially. And this is why it's important from you know, having this kind of a mindset that you don't, you don't just go paranoid uh, you know, and you're just going, oh my God, everything's going to be doom, and you know, it's going to be cataclysmic, and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be the Mad Max that you know beats up the guy in Thunderdome, whatever, right? Um, it's, it's, it's not that extreme, but at the same time, it's not just milk and bread either, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, having a couple of candles, uh, you know, you can at least cook things, even if you're just, you know, making s'mores. And doing the marshmallow thing, or you know, you can heat up um, a can of food in the can, just open the mm-hmm. top, and you know, make a little rack and and put that over. I mean, they do it in buffets and, and, and at big events all the time. They're called little sterno packs, and that mm-hmm. flame's not any hotter than with having a candle or three right under there. And these little votive things, uh, either the high ones or the little ones that are in little tin or aluminum pans, right, the little flat ones. Um, yeah. They cost almost nothing, right? And you could stock up on those things or just get some butane things, you know, get those little butane uh, canisters that attach mm-hmm. to smaller, or the, like the lanterns or whatever. Now you've yeah. got a gas supply, but eventually it's going to run out. So, um, you know, what are your contingency plans and what are your contingency plans for your contingency plans? Having a broad base of options guarantees success. Well, as long as you didn't die in the process, right? Yeah. I mean, then no worries. You know, I make a joke about this, right? Uh, and speaking of jokes, and I'm not making light of Houston or anything like this. My thoughts are with those yeah. folks. I've got friends down there and all that, right, in East Texas and, and things, and I just, you know, hope, hope for the best for everybody. But uh, somebody had thrown this joke out on Facebook, and I just I had to laugh. It was just one of these things that, you know, um, with Irma coming in so close to Harvey being, being over, right, does this remind or does this make anybody think of, the wife who comes storming in because she doesn't think she can trust her husband to get the job done right. Anyway, so so anyway, you're doing uh, it wrong. Yeah, doing it all wrong. Let me show you how to do it. This is the way I wanted it. Right. Anyway, uh, no, it's all cool. But um, 
Yeah, so just just some, some forethought and better planning without being, you know, one extreme or the other, you know. And the big thing is in options and considering the, the social thing, right? And if you can answer the question, what if I lost power, what else would I lose? And when I lose that, I have more than just lost power, you know. And yeah. anybody that's ever lost power in the summertime and their air con went out, you know, they would – <laughs> they get it that you know that these creature comforts that we rely on and often prefer, a lot of them are just going to go away, right? And then on top of that, if you're not living alone, you have the possible anxiety and panic and or anger or whatever coming from family members. God help you if you have kids and the power goes out and the cell system goes down and they can't recharge their batteries on their cell phones. Whatever will they do? Yeah. That's, right? the, so, that's the crisis. <laughs> well, see, our prepping in our family is our kids have a limitation on how long in a given day they can use it. It's 30 minutes to an hour, by the way. And mm. um, then we play board games or other things with them on a regular basis. We've uh, helped them find niches of, of or uh, genres of reading and topics that they like to read. So they always have something to occupy themselves. So, you know, if they get grounded from their electronics, which does happen, they can ha that happens, right? They take it in stride. Okay, I get it, I get it, right? And they can fill their time. So I'm not going to have as much problem with my teenagers if the power and the cell system and their phones die as somebody who just hasn't, hasn't given that consideration, or even worse, the person who gave their kids those things so they don't have to interact with them themselves, you know, mm -hmm. or because they don't want to have to deal with the kid's attitude because he doesn't have this luxury, right, uh, or brain drain or whatever. So, um, you know, the, the main point of the – or the, my main answer more succinctly is prepare before you need to think you need to prepare, right? Um, yeah. Already have that mindset and the ability to assess and take action with, you know, with the – with contingency plans. So – Right. Yeah. And having having lots of options and just just cultivating a, a mind that can be resourceful because in any given situation and something can happen, you, you just don't know what's going to be at your disposable or disposal to try to use. Uh, so right. Yeah, I right. think. Being but you can think about what you would have. You know, uh, I mean, one of the th one of the warnings I give to preppers all the time is don't tell people that you stockpile food. Don't tell people yeah. that you stockpile ammo. Don't go bragging about all this stuff. Right? Are you prepping for them, or are you prepping to be the the uh, local convenience store when the local convenience store and the grocery stores run out of stuff, and everybody in the neighborhood knows that you have stuff? Because yeah, now you're going to have to defend. Now you've created a situation where you have to defend your homestead. Where if you just kept your mouth shut, right, and then you were able to help, should help be needed by choice, right? Um, you you wouldn't be a target. You wouldn't be painting a, right. a target on yourself by self-identification, right? It's like identifying yourself as this high-ranking martial artist. I chuckle and, you know, people know what I do, but I don't have nearly the same kind of problems with drunks on a Saturday night as the guy that goes, hey, I just got my 15th degree black belt and hey, let's celebrate. And really, for everybody <laughs> in the room that's going to try to see what you know, right, okay, let's go there, big guy. You know, so um, anyway. So yeah, that's that's my thing. Just prepare before you need to prepare, right? Yeah. Because if you if you prepare when everybody else is preparing, 
you're going to get, get stuck in traffic jams because everybody's going at the same time. You're going to be run, run the risk of running out of fuel because everybody else beats you to the to the gas station, right? Uh, you're going to, you know, everything's a lottery draw. Did you get the milk and bread at the store before all the shelves got cleaned out, right? Uh, you know, or did you get there late, right? I'm going to run down there. I know the floods happened and all that, and you walk right into a looting situation, and now you're a target because they don't want you to be able to identify them. So, you know, all these all these are considerations that go in in the general awareness phase um, because you can't prepare until you answer those questions. What will I need to know when I need to know? Yeah. Hatsumi-sensei has said over and over again, if you don't know what you need to know when you need to know it, you will die. And that's called universal justice. Hmm. I know we don't like to believe in that. Human beings are constantly against nature and, you know, universal justice or whatever. Uh, but it is what it is. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left if we want to open this up for any kind of Q&A here at the end. Uh, I know we've got a couple yeah. people on, yeah, uh, on the we webcast got, side. Yeah. So now's the time. Like we even questions. have somebody joining us from North Carolina. North Carolina. Here. That's uh, what kind of what yeah. kind of preparations yeah. are you seeing happening down there? Well, not much of anything. As um, people <coughs> buying generators like crazy, and this one guy bought a generator from the Lowe's, and I said, "What are you going to do with it?" You know, he says, "What's well, the storm?" <laughs> and I says, "It will." Well, that's great. It's for the storm, but uh, what are you going to put in your house? He's going to put it in his garage. Right. I said, I don't think that's a smart idea. He says, why not? You know, you've heard of carbon monoxide, right? He said, yeah, well, you don't want to kill yourself. Keep the darn thing inside unless you get something to ventilate it outside. Well, and every, if everything and floods, another, it's not going to operate. So, yeah. So, yeah. That's so unless true. you're going to mount that on a roof um, uh, or yeah. put it on the second floor in your house. <laughs> then you then I asked him, ask him, you know, how you ask, you know how to hook it up? He says, no. Well, how do you think you make it? If you got it working, how do you think you use it? You don't hook it up to your electrical system. You never thought about that. You never thought about yeah. getting an electrician or talking to someone, you know, to get up several things, sensors that will connect, start the gener- take the generator on and start it up when the electricity goes out. That way it would happen. Right. And even flow of electricity throughout your house. Right. So, so he bought it. He's going to take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Aaron! You just lost Walmart to sale or wherever he did. Yeah. So. Right. So, well, uh, that's, but that's you know I'm that's sure the thing. I'm People sure want other this other quick folks. fix, but they yeah, haven't I thought did. it through. Yeah. And then I, I kind of spoil Even if you do have a generator, you know, like I said, you know, in Florida, uh, gasoline's at a premium now. I mean, they're they're out. You know, they're they're just there's very yeah. few places Ours, that have fuel three, left. Three, so I don't know what, what happens when your five gallon can of gas runs out, you know, for your generator. You don't mow the well, lawn. You're back in the dark again. You don't mow the lawn. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. You know, so uh Well and you know something again. interesting as well, and, and I saw this in the area when where I lived when in, back in February there was an evacuation of about two thousand people because of a threat of a of a reservoir dam failure. But uh, right. something interesting of note is that uh, you have to also be prepared to deal with people in a totally different environment than you're used to because that, that general sense of panic or heightened uh, excitement from folks who are trying to evacuate an area or they're they're just panicking because they don't know what's coming or how the storm's going to affect them. So you see runs on the stores for generator and gas and 
yeah, you know, people are way more agitated, and that certainly creates a whole different environment to work in. I mean, just if you think you're, you know, going to go get gas at the gas station. I know around here that was a big thing as people were trying to get out of town. That you know, people were were yelling at each other and fender benders and getting into fights yeah, yeah, yeah. at the gas pumps yeah. because you know everybody's panicking, and 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 that just changes the mode people operate in. Absolutely, I agree. Um, speaking of that, that panic and, and, you know, those kind of things, I have a standing thing with, with when it comes to relationships. Uh, I told my wife this before when we were first dating, you know, and uh, we, had, I don't know, started talking about the marriage thing or whatever, and I would laugh it off and go, oh, no, I don't have nearly enough information about you to make a decision like that yet. And she looked at me you know, really, really strangely like, what, what do you need to know? You can ask me any question. I said, this is not an asking question thing. I believe that you don't truly know someone until you've seen them frightened and you've seen them angry and under what conditions they will get angry because then you can make a decision about whether or not this person will be a partner, team player, or a liability or, you know, whatever. It's going to be all on you or whatever when problems occur, right? Yeah. So I need to see I need to see how people operate that way. That way, even if I choose to, to – relate to them, friend or whatever, I know and I can prepare for that contingency as well when it occurs, and I don't just blindly assume, oh, Bob's my best friend, man, Bob's got my back, He'll be, and Bob is, you know, pooping <laughs> a breadbasket when a bad thing happens, and you don't have Bob, Bob's hiding under your bed because he's hoping you'll protect him, right? So yeah. uh, we need to know these things, like not just know them like, well, I believe it to be true, therefore that's knowledge. That's not knowledge. A belief is a belief. It's something you decide to uh, use in your decision-making uh, in lieu of having no other evidence, right? So, yeah. um, you know, you won't know for a fact how Bob responds to pressure and dangerous situations and, and these kind of things that we're talking about until you see Bob in something that's like that. And if Bob freaks out because the food that came from the kitchen in the restaurant is cold and that's nothing. <laughs> How's he going to respond when, you know, these things are happening. He shows up at the store and there's somebody else grabbing that last generator or that last mm -hmm. bottle of uh, uh, propane gas or you know, whatever. Right. I mean, you know, it, now we have a problem. Right. So um, anyway, I, this, this is just a huge thing. So, um, Anyway, I mean, my uh, wife I don't she wants to do something with me for this weekend, and she kept kind of pressing for what I want to do, where I want to go, that kind of thing. Uh, and I said, I, I don't know. I can't answer that until Friday night, maybe Saturday morning, because I want to see what the end path and where Irma makes, uh, you know, landfall kind of thing. Because when when it was way out at sea, there was still that possibility based on air currents that it could have shifted seriously toward the north and come mm -hmm. up as high as, you know, North Carolina or higher, and that would have headed toward Massachusetts and that normal um, jet stream that goes up around there. You know, we see it in the, in the uh, wintertime with our nor'easter snowfalls and stuff. Yeah. So it could have gone that way, and if it would have gone that way, Pennsylvania being inland or not, we'd have been way more oh. affected than if it hits, Lots of rain. you know, in yep. Florida or Georgia, right? So mm -hmm. I, I, I had to look at her and say, I don't know. Until I know that, I can't give you answers to anything 
So let's keep our options open. We'll figure something out. We'll we'll do something, even if it's driving toward Pittsburgh because the Poconos are getting wiped out or whatever, you know. So, um, again, it's just not making these adjustments or really erring on the side of, ah, nothing's going to happen, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, they always make it bigger than it's supposed to be, you know. So you've got the extremists who are eating up all the fuel and wasting it idling on a highway in, you know, uh, gridlock traffic. And then you got the other folks that are hoping for the best, and then they're panicking because they run out of meds. They need something basic like water, you know. And then when they get it, they're forgetting you're in a, an emergency critical situation, and they're not rationing it so it lasts longer because you don't know. Just because they came to your neighborhood today and asked you if you needed a case of water and gave you a case, that's not a daily delivery. It might not even be a yeah. weekly delivery. So how do you make that water last, or how do you extend your water supply, um, you know, with, with that kind of a problem? So uh, I just think it's a huge thing. So while most martial artists and self-defense people may not even think of this, because most people, when we think of martial arts and self-defense, they think of physically fighting somebody. But we're talking about surviving nature, right? So... Uh, and I think that's where the, I would, the ninjas uh, arts excel because we we this is we we tend to define this as self protection and not the way most people think of self defense, right? So whether it's a dog attack or it's a hurricane or whatever, how how are you going to handle that thing? Right. So anyway, um, you do know this through hurricanes, right? I'm sorry, right? I said you're exactly right. You do know there's three hurricanes right behind each other. You got Irma, you got Jose, yes. and Castilla. And uh, well, yeah. Uh, like is Jose to... was Jose, was Jose elevated to a hurricane Jose, because I thought he was just a it's, tropical it's storm? It's a class four hurricane. It's a class four hurricane now. Wow. Yeah, okay. I think it's well, grown. so yeah. he's chasing Irma, yeah. right? And then uh, there was one that formed in the Gulf yesterday or the day before. Or that was forming, right? And um, that was a tro- that was still just a tropical storm then. Um, so yeah, these things are all over the place. Um, yeah, it's but again, you know, there's some people making comments, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not sharing my political views on climate change or whatever. Are huh? we affecting the climate? Yes. Does climate change occur? Yes, because when I was growing up in the 70s, all the scientific things that were coming out in the news and all that were about a coming. Um, ice age because the temperatures were cooler <laughs> than normal mm-hmm. and now they're warmer so you know the sun's going to bake us alive and all that you know it things are happening <laughs> can we make changes yes we can make changes but at the same time people are using these things as a <gasps> proof of climate change uh no see we schedule our cruise during this time of the year because it's cheaper but it's cheaper because it's hurricane season you know yeah. Uh, heard people complaining about the hot weather uh, in July. Oh my God, climate change! It's July in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when was the last time it was this hot? Let's see, last July. You know, um, it's just it's amazing how you know people do will do like a snapshot of something and make that a global thing. Are there global things? Yes, of course. Right, but when the the proof of of uh, climate change is that the temperature is a little more than half a degree above 
the average for the previous 10 or 20 years. Um, okay, so how how much time do we have to fix things? You know, it becomes a gloom and doom if we just make a big, broad paintbrush stroke kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but, it, again, it's not a Mad Max Thunderdome, and it's not a nothing's happening kind of thing. But, you know, you need to be realistic about things and not use certain things to justify, you know, uh, an issue when uh, sometimes, sometimes it can just be hyped up. Like the things that we normally see from, you know, these, these animal rescue places and stuff. I'm an animal lover myself and all that. But the videos that are shot of the polar ice caps and stuff collapsing into the sea and showing proof of melting, right, uh, they're shot during the spring thaw. They're shot during the spring thaw. So, you know, it's not that it doesn't occur, and it's not that change isn't occurring. But, come on, you're showing ginormous chunks sliding into the ocean like that's happening all the time, you know? Um, and if you follow these things like the geologists do, you know, what was a sheer cliff, you know, 30 stories high three months ago is now barely six feet off the ocean um, surface, but it'll be 30 stories high, you know, in another nine months or whatever. So uh, it's just it's informing yourself more than just, you know, Facebook meme quotes and, and stuff like that, right? Um, or just dabbling. I bought myself a survival book. I'm ready. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, and, I, you know, like I said, you, you you both have been through stuff like this. I remember the, the flooding scare when you were out there and you had uh, chosen to stay. I mean, you're on the radio, so you do that kind of thing. But what did you do? You moved your family into the station with yeah. you because it was in a safer area, right? <laughs> So were they happy? Yes. No, but they got used to it. You know. So yeah, and you know, it, happens, it, it, it allowed you me to have out. them where I could help them uh, rather Absolutely. than kind of just spread them to the winds and hope they get somewhere. Uh, you know, I was able or cow-cow to their preferences because they right. didn't want to sleep on the floor in your office. Okay? Yeah. So you're either going to protect them, or you're so worried about what Honey's going to say that. Um, you know, you're just not effective no matter how much training you have. So, you know, it's not about being an arrogant prick. It's about making the right decision based on the information okay. you have. And like you told your family, look, if nothing happens, you know, we'll drive back home and everything will be fine. You know, you'll have, yeah. a, had, a, have had a couple of nights of a camp out, um, you know, and we will have had, a, had an adventure, right? And if something does happen, I'll feel a whole lot better because I kept you safe and kept us together as a family. So Exactly, yeah. You know, um, nobody likes to hear I told you so, and I'm not the person to say I told you so. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to say I told you so. I'm just going to act based on my training and my my information, and, uh, you know, I'm going to go from there. I don't need to – see, from my perspective, if you know and you act according to that, you and, and you're not weak-hearted, right, you should never have to look at somebody and say, I told you so. They already know. They know, right? And right now, they're, you know, as soon as they, they run into that situation, they're torn between thankfulness and feeling like shit. Because if they would have mm -hmm. done what they wanted to do, they know what would have happened. 
So, you know, I don't wait around for apologies, and I don't say, I told you so. I just prepare, and I make sure that those people I vow to protect, I can do that, unless I'm dead. So, anyway, cool. Uh, any other things come in? I know Tim's still over I, on the webcast, I think. I don't see any yeah, comments I, yet. Don't see any other questions. As for the hurricane, have shifted As patterns. As for the hurricane. Uh, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the Irma, Irma, whatever her name is, is going to the north-northwest of uh, Florida. We're hugging along the coastline, and it looks like it's going to gear up towards uh, the middle of Georgia. Georgia, yeah, see, there's Jose that. is, is uh, currently turning northwest by north, and it should hug along the coast. I would, around, uh, I think it hit around D.C. in there, north, north of so north either way, D.C. Area. Yeah, so the, north, the, the, the east coast here is going to get hammered pretty good. Yeah, so Jose will most likely get that. Looks like it's turning pretty well north between the Bermuda and the and our east coast. Well, I hope by turning north, uh, the category drops by the time it makes uh, landfall. Because uh, I think they said that uh, Irma could be as little as a, as a Category 2 by the time um, she actually makes yes, landfall. Right. Uh, that's true. So that's that's a great thing. Uh, but, again, people need to understand these things and, and not just look at Facebook three days ago and go, oh, it's Category 5, and they're actually or, 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 making a Category 6 because it's 175 miles an hour with 225-or-220-mile-an-hour uh, gusts. You know, that's pretty bad. I'm right. glad that we weren't on our cruise right. in the or, Caribbean or, now. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. There you go. It's great. Uh, so anyway. So uh, I yeah, I'll throw it's that out to you. Well, thank you for the update. I'm just going to look later. Yeah. But, uh, That's great. Yeah, so, stay uh, but stay but again, safe it, if it does turn up that way. Season. It's hurricane season. So, you know, it, it is what it is, right? That This time of year is known as hurricane season. Ask any cruise line. Okay. Yeah, you can get a great rate on a cruise. Let's go to Bermuda. And, and we do. <laughs> we do. Right? Last, we'll time, last time we were on a cruise, the storm chased us, uh, and we had a great time. And by the time we were going back, I think it rained one day. But we weren't rocked around sure. or anything because of the way those ships are made. Um, it would, it would, you'd need the Poseidon Adventure to uh, do one of these things or some other thing that I won't mention because I don't like to jinx the world or give other people ideas for being stupid. Um, but, uh, you know, it is it is what it is, right? And the, the, I mean, the seas would have to be horrendous. It's not like we're going to be on one of these little fishing trawlers, you know, like in, uh, what was that one storm movie, uh, The Greatest Storm or something like that, right? Uh, we're, we're not, we're not going to be, um, a cruise ship just isn't thrown around that same way, like baby ships and carriers. Will they rock? Yep. Will you get sick? Probably. But... You know, uh, but at the same time, you know, the cruise lines don't want to lose their ships and people, uh, and they don't want to put people at risk. So any ships that were leaving out of Florida this weekend, those cruises were canceled this previous week, right? And then as we get closer to ours, which is the first week of October, um, you know, we'll have to see what that happens. But, see, my wife and I are already already discussing contingency for, okay, what do we do with the kids? We're going to get a refund, but what do we do with the kids, Right. Probably won't be for a full week because we won't need all that travel time. But you know, do we do we still do this thing? And then uh, if the cruise is still on, we won't get a refund if it's on. So if we if we still do that, what will our contingency plan be if the excursions in Turks and uh, Turks and Caicos, which was just hammered yesterday or last night, right? Um, if those things are not restored and functional by the time we, you know, make port call, 
right? Um, what will we do? We will come up with a contingency plan, right? Because while we don't want to lose four thousand um, dollars, and we still want to do that, what will we do? Um, I think I'm still more adaptable than my wife because she's like, oh, what are we going to do if we can't get, you know, go do these cool excursions? There's a lot of stuff that goes on on these ships. If you've ever been on one, oh, my freaking God, you know? So um, I'm sure we'll think of something or the cruise line will think of something, right? They they don't want to lose money from cancellations and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and uh, so it's it's all good. But, see, we're, what, four weeks out from our cruise date? And we know that these things are going on, and we're watching, so we're making contingency plans four weeks out, not three days before when we get the phone call that your your cruise has been canceled. Oh, great! I took the week off of work now. You know the kids are looking forward to this. So what can we put in that's going to be, you know, about the same cool factor that we're not going to have, you know, that big of an issue? So I I just think that's what's missing for a lot of folks. You know, just like abdicating uh, their martial arts training. You know, they go in and they just learn whatever the teacher wants to teach, but they've never really thought about what scares them. And if they have, they haven't made that the thing that they want to be able to solve. They haven't seen it as a as a problem-solution paradigm. So when I'm in here learning this, how does this relate to the problems I'm terrified of and want to be able to handle? Because if you're terrified of just somebody punching you in the face – and that's where your idea of self-defense stops, then I highly suggest that you go out and let somebody punch you in the face so you can see that, yeah, it hurts, but it's not going to kill you, right? There are things that are way worse than that. I get it. People have their own elevation or, you know, level of tolerance, but, um, you know, we need to think about these things. So one of the assignments I gave my, my platinum guys, my online students, uh, this past week, I think it was the Intermediate uh, Tuesday group, uh, I said, you know, start with this in mind first. Make a list of things that bother you, that, that you're not sure that you can handle or handle well enough or whatever, right? Don't just wait for me to teach you the next lesson. What is it that you need solved? If it's wilderness survival, if it's certain skills within that realm, make it that. If it's defensive hand, combat handgun or some aspect within that, write that down. If it's, you know, multiple attacker scenarios, be specific with, with it and what you envision a bad one being, or if it's nice to write these things down, and then when I say, anybody have any questions? Yeah, everybody should have a question, right? Because you have something to operate from. You're not just waiting for me to teach a lesson, and once I taught one, okay, I'm good. You know, control your training. Customize and tailor it to your life, your needs. It's your life, for God's sake. Anyway, all right. So, I'm just gonna throw uh, this out there. Maybe we can put together a uh, a Kuden cruise. We'll do lots of training during the cruise. And, hey, well, we'd be paying a lot for the internet connection to be on it. But you know what? Let's do this. We won't rely on the internet while we're at sea. We'll take the cruise, and we'll end up, you know, in the Bahamas or wherever, and uh, we'll do the uh, the Kuden from the uh, hotel where there's internet and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. you know, we'll let people know how much sand we have between our toes and all that kind of stuff. I, that'd be cool. And maybe we just <laughs> we'll we'll open it up and sell tickets too. Why not? We'll just make it a big old group thing, right? Yeah, just, well, that's the thing. It'd be, like a, it'd be like it'd be like camp. It'd be like yeah, camp, we'll but on, on the cruise ship. Yeah, we'll train on the sandy beaches of. 
That'd be cool, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we can get a group discount. Oh, of course. Oh, they do stuff that. like that all the time. They do, we'll absolutely. Go, we'll go during hurricane seasons and we'll get a great rate. <laughs> and work training we're, into it, absolutely. We're not afraid. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Feel motivated. <laughs> I'm up for the challenge. However, I will plan and put contingencies in because of considerations and fears. So while <laughs> right. I accept that death is a natural part of life, I'm not going to run into the bear's cave and kick it while it's sleeping. That's just stupid. All right. So anyway. Well, cool. We've gotten through another uh, another episode. Yeah. Uh, we're just moving right along. Right? We don't do something special when we have episode 50. We're at 31 yeah. now. So we'll I know. We'll get there fast at this pace. I'll come up with something that we can do as a, as like a contest raffle giveaway or something that would be really, really cool. Uh, oh, yeah. For, that's a great for, idea. Just for, yeah, just for reference, because I know you're going to bring it up. It won't be a cruise. Okay? Mm. But... Uh, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll figure out something, right? Yeah, we'll make it fun. Uh, Excellent. Okay, cool. All right, well, well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us, and uh, stay stay safe, and we'll see you next week for CUDAD. Thank you for listening to CUDAD, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.